Tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> but right now, this is a quote, and I'm not going to tell you who, the, who or when the quote was, uh, was given. But we are victims of a spiritual warfare. We have a media masking truth. We have courts without justice. We have anger replacing patriotism. We have schools deliberately dumbing down our youth. We have replaced our traditional heritage with multiculturalism, revisionism, and value, values relativism. Boy, that was a mouthful for a New Yorker. So <clears throat> what it is is that I'm going to tell you that this quote was done in 1996. That's almost 30 years ago. Okay, it was, it was uh, said by Chuck Missler. If you don't know Chuck Missler, Chuck Missler is uh, the founder of the Koinonia House. He has a mind that is, is massive. He was, uh, I think, a nuclear engineer with the Navy. He was uh, CEOs of multiple businesses. But he loved the Lord, and uh, he taught God's word well. So this quote <clears throat> is over 30 years old. It's by Chuck Missler, and it's out of an article that he wrote, A Personal Challenge a desperate warfare. So reading this quote, I want you to think back 30 years ago. I know some of you weren't born then, but just go along with me, okay? In the years that you have knowledge, okay, think back then. So the world, humanity, has been steadily growing darker and darker and deeper and deeper into the pit of despair. We can see humanity's down, downward progression producing retrobate minds and debauchery. The world is not getting better. Sin is increasing. Morals are declining in every which way. Pastor Jim just taught uh, a couple of Wednesdays ago that out of Proverbs 30. And this is, there's a generation that curses his father and does not bless his mother. There is a generation that is pure in his own eyes yet is not washed from its filthiness. And it goes on and it addresses a couple other things. But, I mean, if we look at it, is this not what we're living through right now? The generation that is coming up, they have no morals, they're disrespectful. The, the discipline in the school systems, there is none. Uh, the social media is just robbing them of their youth. So what we're going to be doing is that, so here we are in a world that is a spiritual battle for eternal lives. We're in a spiritual battle for, for the lives of our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers. The spiritual warfare and the gravitational pull of self-rule, self-destruction are leading us to live lives in the times of the book of Judges. In Judges, I think it says three times, and uh, I'm going to be doing a scripture out of uh, Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king of Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And are we not rapidly approaching that right now? That we're living in a time that moral, morals is, there is hardly any left. People are doing things that we would never even think about or even dream about. So let's turn to uh, 1 
1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to give you a, a pretty quick overview of the, that chapter right now, and then we're going to continue a little bit deeper. So in verses 1 through 4, they're speaking to the uh, faithful shepherd, tending to the flock that the Lord has given them. Verses 5 through 11 speaks to us concerning the importance of submitting to God and resisting the devil. And verses from uh, 12 to 14 is the closing. It speaks about uh, Peter's farewell and the peace that he's uh, offering uh, the saints there. So this is the scripture that we're going to be handling on right now. So 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter 1 chapter 5 rather, sorry. I didn't have my glasses on when I typed it was eight through nine. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we're going to be diving into that. The skirmishes of the enemy are taking place all around us. Sadly, we see the consequences of the fallout of these unseen battles. We see that the moral decline and what's happening are being played out in the streets across the nation. Many Christians seem oblivious to the warfare that's taking place around them. And out of, it's like, in my mind, it's like out of sight, out of mind. We're involved in a desperate spiritual warfare for the souls of humanity and the principles of which our country was founded upon. We are in a war. It is a battle versus good versus evil, light versus darkness, and God versus Satan. But we sung that song, right? We already know who won the battle. So we're just living and we're just working our way through here, trying to touch as many people, as many lives as we can for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we as Christians know who is victorious. Our victory has already been won at the foot of the cross. The individual spiritual battle we are fighting has different dates. And I'm looking at it like this. When I accepted the Lord, that's when my spiritual battle happened, started to begin. When you people started, when you people accepted the Lord, it is, that's when your individual spiritual battle, your warfare has begun because you left team Satan and now you're on team Abba Father. You cried out to Jesus Christ. You cried out and you said, Lord, accept me into your, your family. So we switch teams. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are now adopted into the family of God and you are on God's team. Once you become a child of the King, the one who made creation, the heavens and the universe, that's when our spiritual battle has begun. I want to talk to the people that are, that are not really sure if they have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. If ones that are seeking, the ones that are, are just questioning. If you have not cried out to Abba Father and accepted his son Jesus Christ, you're still playing on Team Satan. You're still in this world. You're still in this world that's just going to suck you in, eat you out, and spit you out. There's still time for you to cry out to Jesus Christ and be adopted into God's family. 
As long as you have breath, there is still time. God's word declare that today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart, surrender it to Jesus. God wants to take your stony heart and change it into a heart of flesh. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you're not sure, challenge God. God is up to the challenge. If you challenge him, he will show you that he is real. He will show you that he loves you. He will show you that you are so important to him that he died upon a cross to forgive you of your sins. Search God with all your heart and seek him and you will find him. His, uh, this next slide is from Jack Hibbs. The men's Bible study, uh, we're going through uh, the book of, Tempt- uh, it's called Temptations. And it's about, what do you think it's about? Temptations, all right? So that was, that was a trick question, okay? So we're fighting against an indivisible world of true demonic activity going around us all the time. It never sleeps, it never takes rest. We can roll our eyes and say it doesn't exist, but the battle in a physical world find their origins in the spiritual realm. And that's a quote from Jack Hibbs out of his book, uh, Temptations. So as we look at this, we can see that I look at sometimes and we see that I don't really focus on, I focus on that Jesus loves me and and just trying to mature in his word, but I kind of like, I don't know, like I have blinders on or it's um, like foggy. I don't really concentrate so much on the spiritual battle that's really going on. So this is, this is good, and we're going to touch on this a little bit later. On the, instead of being a beacon on the hill, the church in America has joined the darkness. They have surrendered to the culture of this present age. They have embraced the the theology of the world. Thus they have become part of the world. And our own government is is raging against us. They're promoting and encouraging sinful lifestyles. The local and state government of Virginia is uh, contemplating uh, legislation that if a parent questions the child's uh, choice of uh, transgenderism, They'll, they'll go to jail, and they're thinking about making it a felony. So this is the state of affairs that's going on in America right now. There was, uh, at the men's Bible study last week, it was brought up that there was a, a transgender pastor in front of a grade school, and uh, he was telling them that it was, you have to accept me as who I am. And that's just changing all sorts of doctrines and everything else. But this is the world that we're coming to. We're kind of like isolated in in Roswell. We don't really see what's going on in these uh, biggest cities and throughout the the, uh, country. And then we have the state of Virginia thinking about that. And now the big push right now is the legalization of marijuana. Marijuana, the legalization, is destroying the younger generation along with social media. Studies prove that marijuana affects the undeveloped brain to the, the brain is not fully developed until the age of 25. 
So most brains are fully developed then, and this is from, I found this, a link between marijuana and schizophrenia from verywellhealth.com, and there's other websites that you could go to and still see that it still says the same. Adolescent brains are still developing and therefore may be more susceptible to the effects of drugs, including, I'm not gonna say that, THC, okay? So found in marijuana. More research is needed, but it's possible that THC ex exposure in teenage years could delay the, the mature, the maturation of the prefrontal cortex which is involved in decision-making, thus affecting brain function once the person is older. So we can see that there's a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes that I go back to the first quote that the media is, is hiding. We really don't have a media anymore. So the thing is, what I don't understand, I'm old enough to remember there was such a fight against uh, the tobacco industry and they were fighting it for years and years and years. But then they said that cigarettes were okay f if you had a filter on it, then they took it out. Then they changed all the formula and everything else. But my point is, is that they finally got the message of course that smoking is bad. But then what do they do that, what do you do with marijuana? You usually smoke it, right? I mean, I don't understand that. Tobacco is bad but marijuana is okay. It, I mean, I'm, I know I'm from New York, but it's like, I, I don't understand it. So the thing is, at a, so spiritual warfare is, a rea is in the life and the reality of the believer. Christians, there's four things that I'm working on finding more. I had three, and then last night we came up with four at the men's Bible study. But Christians are more than overcomers. Christians have spiritual gifts. Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. His love for us is endless. And Christians will be engaged in spiritual warfare, battles, and temptations. Those four things you can take to the bank. Those things that God says that we will have. The enemy has been, been perfecting his craft and schemes for centuries. He excels in deception, lies, since the fall of Adam and Eve. Many Christians see, seem to be oblivious to the warfare taking place around them. It's like I said earlier, out of sight, out of mind. We shouldn't cower in fear and look to see if there's a boogeyman under uh, the rock or around every corner. But we need to be aware of the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. There's songs that we sing that we're onward Christian soldiers. There's times where we, we should realize that we are in a spiritual battle. And sometimes some of the things that are occurring in our physical life is because that we are in a spiritual battle. I mean, Job is a perfect example of that, you know? So that's, that's where that comes from. And then uh, in Matthew, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we are going through things, 
we should come to Jesus Christ. That should be our first, our first go-to. And then the reason, one of the reasons why we come to church is to build relationships. This is not a social club. It's not like get to know one another. It is to come so that we can learn, we can be repaired, we can be healed, we can be encouraged to go back out into the world and to continue fighting in the harvest fields, to continue fighting to, to bring into the harvest, to work into the fields. That's why we come to church. And also, too, is to build relationships because when we are going through a spiritual battle, we need people that we can trust and pray for us and with us. That's the reason why we come to church, is to, to get built up to go and to continue the battle. Last Sunday, Robert gave us facts out of a, uh, a 2022 survey. It's called uh, The State of Theology. And it was just done uh, actually this month. The thing is, is that I went back, I was listening to Robert's uh, teaching, and there were things that, first, they call themselves evangelical Christians, and some of the results of that uh, survey is just, it's like the tobacco. It's like smoking is bad, but smoking marijuana is good. All right, so 43% agree with the statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So how do you call yourself an evangelical Christian and come up with that? Shouldn't that be like 100%? 99.999% maybe? But not 43%. And then there's two-thirds of evangelical Christians, they don't believe in original sin. Is that not Christianity 101? We've all born into original sin. We're all born under the curse of sin. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. Jesus Christ took that away from us when he died on the cross. Jesus Christ died so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. So that's Christianity 101. And, and I don't understand. I'm a simple guy. I don't understand some of these things. But this is... This is the enemy working behind the scenes, developing retrobate minds, and just bringing us down into a slow decline. But I think it's speeding up. We don't have to teach our children to be bad. If, we, if you have children, just watch them play. Watch them play with the toys. Don't they want to rip off the other kids' toys? Okay, aren't they selfish? Okay, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. That is not, that's instinctive in them. They need to be taught how to love God, how to share, how to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. They don't know how, we don't need to teach them how to be bad or how to sin. We got that down. But we need the forgiveness. We must confirm in our lives, we must con conform our lives to scripture rather than twist the scripture to fit our lives. Here are these so-called evangelical Christians and the percentages don't even reach 50%. Christians, what are these evangelical Christians learning? Do they even open up the Bible? Do they study the word of God? 
If they go to church, what is coming across the pulpit? They have to be developing these, these reasonings, their, their answers to these questions somewhere, somehow. Is it coming across the pulpit? So uh, my assumption is, is that it is coming across the pulpits. It is. The Church of America is weakening. They're going by the wayside of today's culture. It's like, oh, let's be all inclusive, sing Kumbaya, and we'll all take the, uh, the slow boat to dam eternal damnation. Okay? There's two roads, the wide and the narrow. It also tells me that they're not like the Bereans. I think I put that up on the screen. Nope. But we'll leave that there. In Acts 17, 11, they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That's one of the things that my wife and I, I got saved in the Calvary Chapel out in uh, South, South Bay, out in California. And we tried to stay with, with uh, Calvary Chapels because we know that they teach the word verse by verse, precept upon precept, chapter by chapter. And that's the thing. That's what people need to do. If, if I'm a Christian, if I'm going to church, I'm going to have... I am a Christian. I do go to church, okay? So let me clarify that, all right? So, gosh. So anyway, so the thing is, is that they need, we need to be searching the Word of God on a daily basis. We need to see if what's coming across the pulpit is actually in the Word of God. There's some churches that sometimes it's like they might hit a scripture. If they do hit a scripture, it might be taken out of context. There's some churches throughout the country that, oh, we only teach good things. We are, we're only on the positive side. You know what? I think that Jesus talked more about hell than just about almost anything else in the New Testament. So there, there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance of what's going on. The, the survey reminded me of what Pastor Jim spoke and taught about a couple of weeks ago, a couple of Sundays ago, that it's out of 1 John, it's out of 1 John uh, 5.20 that you may know him who is true, this is the true God. It doesn't matter what your opinion is of truth is. Truth is truth, and God's truth stands alone. It is the plumb line. Absolute truth is found in his word. In John 17, 17, it says that sanctify them with your truth, your word is truth. So here we have, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. God's word is truth. That's going to stand forever. So we believe the word of God is true, but sometimes when we, or at least I do, and I read 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 5, okay? So, so the thing is, is that I do believe that Satan is active seeking to devour me. Do I really believe that? Or do I roll my eyes and, and just think that, it's not happening. So the scripture, this is what I'm going to be using. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, 
seeking him whom, whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So let's break it down. I'm going to break down some of these words on here. And so I'm just going to leave that up right now. So the first word I want to look at is sober. All right. So sober, it means to be calm, to be collective in the spirit. Okay. So when I'm going through a trial, sometimes I'm not really that sober. My, my spirit is not that, that calm. I go around like almost like Chicken Little without his head. Oh, no. And then, uh, I, well, then my wife comes along and we talk and it's like I, I come back down to earth. So it means that to stay calm, to be calm, cool, and collective, to be sober, vigilant, to watch, to be faithful, adversary it's universally understood that it means an enemy an adversary but sometimes it's used as uh, as a devil it also denotes that the adversary or an enemy it talks about a, a legal affairs and perhaps this is the meaning in in this uh, chapter first peter 5 8 where it's used of the devil. Some would regard the word as theirs, usually in the legal sense, that the devil is an accuser of men before God. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he does it day and night, constantly. And this is in Revelation. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down, and that they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and have been and by the word of their testimony. So here we have Satan coming before God, accusing us day and night. So it's it's sort of like a legal term. And then what does it say in in uh about Jesus, Jesus is our advocate. He's our go-between. In 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write to you, that you may not, not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the whole world. So this is, Satan comes, and he accuses us. And what, what does Jesus do? Jesus stands up and he becomes our advocate. He becomes our goel. He becomes our go-between. He stands in front of the throne room of God and he'll say, if we accepted his son, Jesus Christ, we will say, Lord, this is, this is my son. This is my daughter. And welcome in to the family of God. So here, for everything that, that Satan has, Jesus comes and he trumps it. So here, and in, we were talking about this uh, last night in a men's Bible study, in John three seventeen, for God did not son his, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that, to me, is pretty cool. I, I really like that uh, John three seventeen. 
You don't see that one up on the, the back of an end zone, only 316, right? So here we have, and now the next word that I want to get into is, is devil. So here it talks about he's an accuser, a slanderer. To accuse, to malign is one of the names of Satan, prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely. And that's what actually what his name actually means. The devil actually means that he is an accuser. He goes around slandering people. The next one is a roaring lion. It talks about to howl or to, or to roar. And it's used of uh, the lion. He's still roaring and prowling. But there's gonna, there is a time coming when the roar will be silenced. And a walkabout, to walk about to make one's way, to make progress, to make due of the use of opportunities. Satan and his minions are always going to, always going to and fro upon the earth, looking for opportunities to tempt us and to make us stumble and fall. So here I want to touch on and talk about a little bit the phrase to make use of opportunities. I find it is interesting that the enemy will take whatever we give him. It might be big or small. If we, if we give him just a teeny-weeny sliver of a crack, the enemy will come into our lives. He will start eating away, chipping away, gnawing away at the armor of God that we have on until that opening, that small little crack, is a gaping hole. So, so what happens when that comes? Satan comes in full force. It might not be Satan. It could be one of his, his uh, minions. And the thing is, is that that's how we begin to backslide. We begin to drift away. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift, drift away. That's why I want to encourage you that it's so important to be in God's word on a daily basis. It's so important not to give the opportunity a foothold into our armor. It has to be completely put on. Sometimes we're tired, we don't feel like doing it, but you know what? That's the, the best time to get into God's word, to sing praises, to sing worship. Put on, I mean, there's YouTube that you could go for like three hours of, of nothing but praise and worship music. Those are the times that we need to come together. You know, like when, when you're just tired, pick up the phone, call somebody and say, hey, brother, sister, can you pray for me? I'm not doing too well. I'm just tired. I don't know what's going on. You know, there's times where I've gone to like go through the day and it's like an up and down, up and down. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in the world, he had bits of, of depression and he fought it all of his life up and down. It's a spiritual battle. We're, we're always going to be tempted. We're always fighting to press on to the higher calling that is found in Christ Jesus. So here, this is how backsliding begins. And, and you know what? The, oh, I'm not going to go there. So anyway, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, the hope we have as an anchor of our soul, but sure 
be in steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. So who is our anchor? What is this scripture talking about? That hope we have, that hope is Jesus Christ. Our anchor is Jesus Christ. We need to be anchored to him. We think we're anchored at the foot of the cross and then all of a sudden the knot starts to come undone. It starts to unravel. Our anchor, the chains are rusty and it starts to break. A wind comes and it pulls us out. And then we begin to drift out along with the current. And then the next thing that you know, we're in the middle of the ocean. And the thing is, is that we look back and we have no direction. We have no bearing. We don't know where we are. So the thing is, is that we need to be continually anchored and be tied up to Jesus. We begin to drift away on the currents. We stop living out Acts 2.42. And that's why one of the things about the closing of the churches and, and not being able to assemble, human beings were built to gather, especially when we have Jesus Christ in common. We were built to, to, to gather and to fellowship and to worship. In Acts 2.42, it says, and they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. You know what, church? We did exactly this entire scripture. We lived this scripture. We are living this scripture right now. We're having fellowship. We broke bread this evening. We were praying, and now God's word is going forth. We are living this scripture out right now. Looking back over several months as we are drifting away in the middle of the ocean, we set adrift and we have lost our ways. We're dazed, we're confused, we're overwhelmed without any bearing, any direction. We're being tossed to and fro by the storm of life. Then when we come to our senses, we cry out, Jesus, help me! And then Jesus comes, he comes out of the boat, he appears on the storm like he did at the apostles. And what does Jesus do? He calms the storm. He says, Kevin, my son, come back into the sheepfold. I died for you. I love you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I drifted away, Lord. He comes. He illuminates our way like a lighthouse, cutting through the fog of life. He directs us back to the path of the cross. He comes, he shows up all the time, on time. He's never late. He has done it in the past, he will do it in the future, and he will do it for us throughout the rest of our lives or, or he takes us home. We need to be planted in Jesus Christ. The enemy doesn't possess the powers of God. So the enemy is already hum, hamstrung. He's already lost the battle. We sung that song tonight. We're fighting a battle that has already been won. He, he is not omnipresent. God is. He's not omnipotent, all-powerful. God is. No, I'm, I'm, oh gosh, I knew I was going to. Omnipotent? All knowledge, okay? But God is. So those are the things. He, he is not all-powerful as God is. Sometimes we think that he might be, and sometimes we give him too much credit. Sometimes we just like, 
eh, the devil made me do it. But no, we chose to do it. So the next word I want to get into is seeking. To seek, to, to order, and to find. Think about that for a while. To seek in order to find. I don't know if, I guess it's universal. When I was growing up in New York, we would play hide-and-go-seek, and we play these other games, and we all run around the neighborhoods and things like that. So the goal of it was to find somebody who was hiding from us. And that's exactly what Satan does and his, uh, and his minions. The enemy is seeking us out like the imperial, for, the imperial force and Darth Vader, seeking out the, imperial, the, the rebel force and Luke in Star Wars. They were chasing them around the galaxies. Or when the Marines were landing in, uh, while island hopping in the Pacific in World War II, they were digging out the enemy in the caves, or in Vietnam when the soldiers that, that who were named uh, tunnel rats, they were searching out the enemy in the tunnels that they had dug into in, uh, the hills and into the ground. And this is what, uh, they were on a seek mission. They were seeking in order to find and to remember that the enemy is accusing us day and night. The enemy and his minions are seeking us out. They're always watching us, seeking if any cracks are developing in our armor. And that armor is found in Ephesians chapter 6. This is why we must be in his word every single day. For the battle is intensifying all around us, and the days are truly evil. I refer to you uh, to Pastor Jim uh, last June, I believe, uh, in 21. Pastor Jim did a nine-week study on uh, the book of Ephesians, especially uh, chapter 6, where he talks about the spiritual, uh, the full armor of God. And if you haven't listened to it, the thing is, is that uh, I ask you to go back and to listen, and it would encourage you. So to devour, it means to drink down, to swallow. And this is... Oh, I'll say that. So here's a quote by David Guzak on uh, this chapter. So what we're doing is he isn't just looking to lick or to nibble on his prey. He wants to devour. He can never be content till he sees the believer utterly devoured. He would render him in pieces and break his bones and utterly destroy him if he could. Do not therefore indulge the thought that the main purpose of Satan is to make you miserable. He is pleased with that, but that's not his ultimate end. So what Satan wants to do, since we left his team and we have now joined God's team, like David Guzek's quote, he doesn't want to just come like a, a kitty cat, come up and lick you and purr around you. He wants to tear you, tear us into pieces. He wants to totally devour us, to destroy us. That's his goal. And you know why he wants to do that? He wants to destroy us. It's pretty simple. Because as being born-again Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're never going to bow to him. We're never going to give him the praise and the worship that he desires from everybody. 
That's why he got kicked out of, uh, out of heaven. In Isaiah, he talks about the I wills. And the thing is, we, we will never, ever bow to him. We will never surrender to him, nor worship him. We might, and I probably will stumble and fall along the way, but the righteous man may fall seven times, but the righteous man will rise again. And that's in Proverbs 24, 16. We now bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We bow before the Holy One of Israel who made the heavens and the earth. We bow before the Son of God who is the only one who died for our sins. He was resurrected from the dead on the third day. That's why Satan wants to destroy us because we switch teams. We will not bend our knee to him. There's, I will bend my knee to Jesus Christ and him alone. We will not bow our knees. We will worship the living God, the King of Kings, for Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The enemy has never created anything. The only thing that, that you might say that he can create, but he just produces hate and discontent. He, he never created anything. It's not like God takes nothing, a bara, out of whatever and produces the earth, produces the mountains, produces us. Satan only does hate and discontent. To resist him, to set against, to set oneself against, to withstand, to resist, to oppose, Again, we see only resist and oppose him. If we are doing it in the power of, we need to do it in the power of uh, the strength of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 18, 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. There was a song that we used to sing out of 18.1. The next word I want to take a look at is steadfast in the faith. Be strong, firm, immovable, solid, hard, rigid. Again, I refer you to teaching that Pastor Jim did on uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Resist him and be steadfast. In our faith in Christ Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of us. This is a two-part process. We resist him by being steadfast in our faith. In Ephesians 6.10, it talks about, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We are steadfast because we resist him. It is because of our strength comes from the Lord. We stand not in our own strength, but in the strength and the power of Jesus Christ and the rock of my salvation. What Jesus, all things were made by him and for him. Jesus holds the world. He is the glue that holds the world together. Last Sunday, Robert also talked uh, taught about uh, King Hezekiah restoring worship to the nation, to the nation of Israel. To do that, to restore worship in my life and in our lives, we must first clean our temples and the idols that we have in our lives. Sometimes we have to be like Joseph and just flee. 
We need not to be like David. He stayed behind from the battle. He was not doing what a leader should have been doing. David should have been leading the troops out into the battlefield. But by him not being out on the battlefield, him and his family paid the price. His family suffered. Yes, our sins are forgiven, but there's consequences. It's like we sin, it's throwing a pebble into a pond, and the thing is is that our sins are forgiven, but the ripples go out and out. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In 1 Corinthians 10.14, Therefore, my beloved, free idolatry. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the armor of God is to be fully utilized in the life of the believer. It must be put on and be prayed up in the word of Jesus Christ. We must put off this world and put on Jesus Christ and walk in the spirit. In Galatians chapter 3, it talks about put off the works of the old man and put on these things of Christ. I want to touch on the second uh, part of First uh, Peter in verse 9. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. To me, this is the same suffering that I am experiencing, you are experiencing. We all are being tempted. We all are in a spiritual battle. So how does that affect us? What, we, what should we be doing as a body of Christ? Should we not be praying for one another? Should we not be lifting one another up? Because the thing is, is that if I'm going through a spiritual battle, spiritual temptations, I know you guys are too. That's the life of a Christian. That's the life of a, of a believer. So we need to come together and to lift one another up. We see this uh, verse and we're going through our own spiritual battles. The days that we are living in, we need to close the ranks and march together as a family. The Bible talks about us. The Bible says that we are part of the family of God, that we are inclusive, collectively, the body of Christ. We are soldiers in the army of the Lord. We are soldiers in the army of Christ. We must lift up Calvary Chapel, the family of Calvary Chapel of Roswell, collectively in prayer and supplication. And especially... I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but it's been hitting me that if I go through spiritual battles, you go through spiritual battles, and Pastor Jim is our shepherd, he's our leader, he's the pastor that God has placed here, how much more does he and his family go through? How much more that Satan would love to wipe him out? Shouldn't we pray for him on a daily basis? Shouldn't we constantly be lifting him up? Not only Pastor Jim, but we should be lifting up the pastors in our, in our community, in the churches throughout our community, because they are being attacked constantly. They go through, they feed the flock on a, on a weekly basis. We go through sufferings and, 
and, and test things. We would grow and mature in the Lord if we did it. Our faith muscle, we must need it. Our faith muscle needs to be exercised. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. If you read that, go home and read it. And it talks about the faith. And it is tested. If we are not progressing, if we're not moving forward in Jesus Christ, we are regressing. And that's never a good thing. We, Jesus says that he will never leave you nor forsake us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is just for a moment, is working for us far more exceedingly an eternal way to glory. While we do not look for the, the things which are seen, but are at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to continue to focus upon the Lord and look to the eternal. In closing, let me rem- let's remember that we are always tempted and tried, tried trials and tribulations. That's how I believe that we mature in the Lord. We are trying to get off the milk of the word and trying to digest God's meat of the word. I know some of you all, you, you have been going through trials. They're excruciating, they're painful the trials that you are enduring and have endured. But I want to encourage you to look to the cross. Look to Matthew chapter 11, where it talks about casting all your cares, all your desires upon Jesus Christ, for he cares for you. We have come too far in Jesus Christ to turn back now. Peter says, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. David says in Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in his, in his kingdom than anywhere else. If we're going through trials and tribulations, so is our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. We need to lift up one another. I'll close with this scripture, and it is Romans 13, 11. And do this, knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light that let us walk promptly as in a day, not revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So here, as we're winding down, there's a couple of things I would like you to, uh, to remember. Remember, if we're not moving forward, if, if we're not progressing and moving forward in Jesus Christ, we're regressing. One of the things that encourages me as this is the time of season that the geese start to fly, and you see them in the, the V-shaped pattern. They do that for a specific reason, because they're working together as a team. The lead geese or the lead goose, he'll go for a certain amount of time and then he'll switch and somebody else will take the lead. They're drafting off one another. They're encouraging one another to go forward. And that's what we should be doing in Jesus Christ. We are anchored in Christ and he will never leave us nor forsake us. 
Remember to put off the world and to put on Jesus. Remember to pray for one another, especially our pastor and the pastors of our community. Let us continue to fight the good fight. So let us be sober, be vigilant, let us resist him and be steadfast in our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's all stand and we'll end with, uh, as the worship team comes back, we'll end in a, uh, a song. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord, for you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We thank you, Father, for tonight. We just ask you, Lord, that we would be encouraged in your word, Lord. Father, your word has all the goodness, all the things that are pertaining to life and goodliness that we need, Lord. Father, let us be encouraged, Lord, to continually run the race in you, Lord. Let us be strong in you. Let us look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.